You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Imagine me putting on a sweater. (laughs) We are in the middle of a series of sermons we're calling, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Ripped off from Mr. Rogers, for sure. If there was ever a time in history when America needs good neighbors, it is now. We are in the midst in our country of a loneliness crisis. More than ever, people need loving, genuine connection with people. Clint reminded us last week that our neighbor is anyone and everyone. But what we're trying to do in this series of sermons is is not forget that our neighbor is really close to home. Because most of us don't know the names of the people that live across the street, let alone love them. You can't love them if you don't know them, right? And so we're trying to bring it not only, we don't want to miss the global for sure, but, but also um, that it, we're talking about our neighbor that lives next door on either side of us, across the street or across the hall if you live in an apartment or a dorm or, or behind you. So would you pray with me? Father, open up our ears where they're stopped and our hearts where they've gotten cold or hard. Help us hear what it is that your spirit wants to say to us today and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, bring you honor, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, Tom and I were invited to the home of some people that we knew through the church that we were at at the time. We didn't know them well, but our son, one of our sons was, was a friend with one of their sons. We'd been to their home for youth kinds of things a couple of times, and, and they live in a very uh, nice, expensive part of the valley. They, um, we knew that he loved wine, good wine. I mean, he was a member of some kind of an exclusive wine club, had a a wine um, refrigerator kind of cellar. I'm very impressive. Uh, So we we knew a little bit about what he liked and what he did, and he was a brilliant, I think world-renowned neurosurgeon. Well, we were really surprised one day to get an invitation from him to go to his 50th birthday party. I mean, we were like, why would, why us? I mean, we just, everything we knew about him, we we didn't fit. But they really wanted us to come, and so we said yes, and uh, you know, before we go, I'm like thinking, what what would we bring him for his 50th birthday? And um, 
you know, thought about wine. Sometimes if we're invited somewhere, we would bring a glass, a bottle of wine, but I mean, we would have no idea what wine to bring him and, and probably couldn't afford it anyway if we did know what to bring him. So I went to one of those party stores and I, I got, uh, I thought, oh, well, we could do something fun like, you know, bring black and wear black and, you know, kind of the over the hill, you're 50, you're over the hill kind of the thing. <laughs> Now, I don't remember, this is years ago, I don't remember exactly what we brought, but I do remember that we brought black balloons and we wore black armbands and black. <laughs> and we probably had a couple of other silly things. And so, um, and there's only, we know that there's, it's a small party. There's, uh, we still don't know why we got invited. There, I think there were four, <laughs> four couples maybe at this party. So I think we're the first one to get there. So we get there, you know, we're carrying our balloons and wearing our armbands. And, and they're very gracious and so happy we've come. And they laugh at what we've brought. And they're lovely. But it's when the other guests started to come that we're realizing, oh, we really don't fit here. The first guy brings, I'm not making this up, a case of 100-point rated wines, like 100 out of 100. Like, I, we can't imagine how much this gift cost. That wasn't his own gift, by the way, but that was when we remember. And we've kind of blocked out what the others brought, but it was of the same caliber. <laughs> Us with our balloons, you know? <laughs> Now, I'm going through a pretty grueling chemo at the time, and I'm not drinking wine, and Tom wasn't drinking wine with me. But I say to him, you have got to drink the wine at this party. You've got to. And so poor Tom took one for the team. Love my wife. So the party begins. Everyone's there. We're, we're mingling. We're, we're eating lovely hors d'oeuvres, drinking, I'm sure, incredible wine. It comes time for dinner. We sit down in their dining room, and, um, and I realize that this dinner is being catered by an incredible chef in the valley. And someone is serving us so that the hosts don't have to, you know, get up from the table. And, and we're sitting there, and, and somehow the conversation turns to where they've been. And... Um, you know, they've been places like, I mean, this is recent, you know, Paris and Japan and Australia and Italy. And, and then the conversation goes on and they're talking about transatlantic flights and, and you know, great experiences they've had on some and a couple of bad experiences. And at one point, they start talking about the... Um, the incredible deals they've gotten bumping to first class on flights. And it's something like, I mean, don't quote me on this, but it felt like it was, you know, for only $5,000, you can, you know, you could, on this airline, you can get first class tickets. It was that kind of conversation. And, and we're just kind of quiet. And, and then they're very nice people. They're very polite. They want to include us. So they say, where have you been? 
We drove to Colorado to visit family <laughs> and Tucson to visit my mother. <laughs> it was, we would never, ever, ever have put ourselves at a table with these people. As nice as they were, we would never, ever have been there, except that the host wanted us there. It's the only reason we were there. In the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, Jesus invites people to, uh, or he tells a story about a, a master, a, a wealthy man we, we know, who invites people to this incredible dinner party. And they all say, yes, they're going to come. But then at the last minute, they change their mind and decide not to go and, and listen to what the host does. This is from Luke 14, beginning at the 15th verse. One of the dinner guests, on hearing the things that Jesus had just been saying, said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who'd been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. The setting is this. Jesus is sitting at the dinner that a, that a Pharisee, a, a, a wealthy religious person, had invited him to come to. And he's there with a bunch of other religious and very um, important people in his day. And as usual, the people at the table are sitting in places of honor. Jesus, just prior to what I read, is talking to them about humility, about inviting poor, lame, crippled, blind people, as opposed to people that will just return the invitation, people that, that don't belong there. And one of the people at the table says, well, blessed be whoever, whoever gets to eat bread in the kingdom of God. And that's when Jesus tells this parable of the great dinner. It's a, it's a, it's a scene that has been talked about for 600 years, this scene that Jesus sets up. In the 25th chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah describes at the end of time when God's kingdom is in its fullness, it's, it's like this amazing banquet feast. And at this, God invites, and Isaiah describes this as 
it's people of Israel are at this banquet and people from all other nations. There's just all kinds of people at this banquet. And at this banquet, all the tears are wiped away and the cloud of depression and sadness is lifted and, and, and God puts the, the world right the way it was intended to be. And for 600 years, they've known about this and scholars have talked about it, but over the centuries, what happened in Judaism was the, the, the list of the invites got narrower and narrower and narrower. And by the time of Jesus' day, the people that they expected to be invited to this great banquet at the end of time, well, they were only people like the people seated around the table with Jesus, the really religious. The poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind, the people like that wouldn't be invited. Certainly nobody that wasn't an Israelite would be invited. And so Jesus really blows their expectations out of the water as he tells this story. Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. Theologian Ken Bailey lived in the Middle East for many, many years. And he talks about, even today, how people would invite people to a banquet like this. It's very similar to what Jesus is describing, even today. Sends out a list of invitations. You find out who's going to come. And based on the number of who's going to come, then you decide what, what, you're gonna, what meat you're going to prepare. So if there's over 100, you'll, you'll butcher a calf and a sheep. If it's 40 or 50, you'll, you'll butcher a sheep. If it's less than that, well, you might um, prepare a... a, a a few chickens. If it's less than that, and it just kind of goes down. The lowest amount might be just a few pigeons. But base, it's based on who says yes, then you prepare what you're going to prepare. So it's all prepared. He sends out his servants. He says, it's ready. Come, 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 come. But the surprise is, yesterday they said they were going to come, but today... They have all kinds of excuses why they're not going to come. It's very insulting to the host. And everyone at that table with Jesus would have known that. It's actually really hurtful today. A friend of mine was telling me about her grandson, who's never, ever had very many friends, and had started to make some friends. And so he invited all his friends to come to his house. He prepared dinner. He worked on it. He, he was nervous, but he was excited. And he'd invited all these people. They all said yes. And on the, on the night they were supposed to come, no one came. He was crushed. I think you'd be too. I would be. I want to ask three questions. The first one is, what's your excuse? The second one is, what's your motivation? The third one is, will you persist? First of all, what is your excuse? The first guy bought a field, needed to go see it, which is ridiculous, <laughs> because nobody would have bought a field and not seen it first, right? There was a whole process involved in buying a field. I mean, it was a lie, basically. 
The second one, I bought five oxen. I need to go, you know, check them out. Again, just, it's ridiculous. Nobody would buy oxen and not be sure that they worked well together. And besides, the whole point is, who would do that to a host like this? It'd be like me saying to Tom, um, I bought five cars, and um, I'm going to cancel dinner tonight with uh, the Bidens, Joe and Jill, because um, I need to go see if they'll start. <laughs> Third guy says, I'm, you know, I just got married. I'm going to be busy with my wife. Uh, who does that? <laughs> you can go have dinner. You're going to be married a long time. <laughs> now, why does he tell this parable to this crowd at this time? Because these are the people that know they've been invited to the banquet. They're the religious people. They know. They have said yes to God. They're living their life for God. But when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, hey, it's prepared, come to the banquet, they don't recognize Jesus as the Lord of the banquet, the master. And they're refusing to come by refusing to believe in him. That's why he tells them. And I think he tells them this story. Because he's saying to them, hey, you guys are invited. Don't say no now. When Jesus came, he inaugurated the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We know that on this side of history. Now, it's not here in all its fullness. It will be here when Christ comes again. But we now, even now, we who believe, live with the values and the priorities of the kingdom. Or do we? Who do we invite into our lives? Is it just people like us? In Jesus' words, is it just people who will invite us back? Or does it include people who aren't already like us? He sent his servant out to, to invite those who've, who said yes. They say no. So then he sends them out again, and he says, go, go get the blind, the, the deaf, the, the lame, the crippled, the poor. Bring them in. The servant does. He doesn't have any excuses. He just goes and does it. Then he, there's still room at the table, like we just sang. There's still room. Go out again. Find them. Find them, find them, and bring them in wherever they are. And the servant does it again. He's not making excuses. He doesn't say, I don't have time. I'm too busy with the people that you've already brought into our house. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I don't like them. He doesn't say, I have nothing in common with them. He doesn't say anything. He has no excuses. He just does what the master says. Do we invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame? I think Jesus means that literally. I really do. 
I think he also means it metaphorically. Who do you know who is spiritually or emotionally crippled? I am sure some of your neighbors are. Who's broken? I've got brokenness still in me. As much as I might think I don't have anything in common with somebody that lives next door or across the street, I do. I got broken places, so do they. And we both need the grace of God. G.K. Chesterton said, we make our friends, we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. You ever thought about that? That God has brought those people and we invite our neighbor because we are commanded to love our neighbor as we, as we love ourselves. What's your excuse? What's your motivation? God's motivation is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Not for any other reason. Not to get something out of them. Not anything. Just love them. So we had somebody in our a former church who who was telling me some of her spiritual history. And when she was in college, she said these women kind of um, took her under their wing and befriended her, and they were so kind to her. And she just loved it. She was honored at first. And then she realized at some point, she called it, she said, I was a project to them. When I didn't convert to Christianity, she said, they dropped me. They didn't love her, and she knew it. And it really hurt her, her walk with the Lord and, and uh, for many, many years and certainly turned her off to Christian people. In the scriptures, often the word for God's love is agape, which um, we often talk about as God's unconditional love. That uh, it's, it's love that we didn't see coming. We don't deserve it. We will never deserve the kind of love that we're, we're given. It's, it's unmerited love. It's, it's just grace. Mark Buchanan talks about God's love as being unprovoked love. And I, I love that idea. You know, usually we'll use that word unprovoked when we talk about, you know, it was unprovoked anger or, uh, boy, that violence was unprovoked. And when we hear that, what we're saying is, you know, you didn't deserve that, right? You didn't deserve that anger or, you know, that person never deserved that kind of violence. So we look at the, we look at the person that did it and we say, oh, well, there's something wrong with them, right? There's something twisted in them. They're mentally ill. There's something wrong with that person. And Buchanan says, I like to think of God's love as unprovoked. It, it's similar, but in opposite ways, right? Um, He's just showered his love on, on, on you. You've done nothing to deserve it. There's nothing about you that, that deserved anything that you got. So that we got to look at the one who showered the love, and we say, well, 
What made him do that? Why is he like that? And God is like that because John says God is love. In, in, in many ways, God can help it. Now, he chooses to love us, right? But, but he, that, that's his nature, just to love. John Kronstadt uh, was a 19th century Russian Orthodox priest at the time uh, when alcohol abuse was particularly rampant. And um, no one was going out to help these people. And, and Kronstadt was, it says, compelled by love, went out into the streets. People said he'd lift the hungover, foul-smelling people from the gutter, cradle them in his arms, and say to them, this is beneath your dignity. You were meant to house the fullness of God. Like John Kronstadt, we say to ourselves in our own brokenness and to those around us who are broken, to our neighbors, you were meant to house the fullness of God. God's love is unconditional. He's compelled to love us because of who he is. And therefore, God's people are compelled also by love. That's our motivation. It, it, it cannot be anything less than that. No excuses. The motive is love. But the mode is persistence. Go out and get them. Go out and, and, and get more. Go out. Keep going out. Keep going out. Persist, persist, persist until my house is full. Even on an individual basis, you think about how the Lord persisted with people who had done terrible things. Peter, who denied him three times, and the Lord just continued until Peter was brought back into relationship with him. Paul, who murdered Christians, and the Lord persisted with him until he surrendered to the Lord's love in his own life. Sometimes my experience in being a neighbor, and I want to be a good neighbor, is it, it just takes persistence. The movie, A Man Called Otto, is about, um, Tom Hanks plays this character, and he's a grumpy man, he's suicidal, and it, it portrays him with his neighbors, one in particular, Marisol. And I want you to see this scene from, uh, this happens early in the movie, just when Marisol has been um, moved in to, across the street with her family, and she comes across the street to uh, Tom Hanks. Hey. Hi. Otto. Right? Yes? Otto. Yeah, that's what I said. No? Okay, okay. What did I it say? It doesn't matter what you said. Otto. O-T-T-O. Ah. Otto. Otto. Oh, Otto. Oh, okay, so it's the same forward that is backwards. No, it's Otto. Otto. It's Otto. Mm. It's just you don't hear that name Otto. very often. Uh -huh. I do. Okay. If we're interrupting, we can always come back. What is it you want? I brought you some food. Why? Because you looked hungry. Yeah, that's why we go so well together. She loves to cook, and I like to eat <laughs> everything. 
Anyway, we just uh, we wanted to properly introduce ourselves because you know we're going to be neighbors and everything. So, so. Okay. Okay. Bye. My name is Marisol. And I'm Tommy. Otto. Are you always this unfriendly? I'm not unfriendly. I'd say you're a little unfriendly. I'm not unfriendly. You're a poquito I sick. am not. No? Okay, you're not. No, 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 no. You're not unfriendly. Every word you say is like a warm cuddle. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> it was a little hard to see. I wanted you to see the look on their faces. And when she sticks her foot in the door to stop him from closing the door. Sometimes I think that's being a good neighbor. Sometimes I think it's being a good neighbor. Just showing up. Years ago, I had a, I brought, I, I don't know if it was banana bread or some cookies or something that I'd made to introduce myself to a new neighbor who moved into the neighborhood. And, um, and this was one of those times, I think a lot of times we, it takes a while to get to know somebody and get to know what's really going on in their life so you know how to love them. But this time, she just told me right up front, she had ovarian cancer, she was, um, truly fighting for her life, which she, she did lose. Um, her husband had left her when she got cancer. He didn't want anything to do with the mess of it. And she was all by herself. So it, it wasn't hard to figure out how do, I, how do I love her. I just kept showing up. I, I would do things that, that were helpful. I, I tried to be helpful. I would ask her what I could do. Anyway, this went on for a while. And I said to her, can I... Um, can I pray for you? And she said, uh, yeah, when you get home. <laughs> so I did. I mean, I, I prayed for her at home, and then I would, uh, you know, do whatever I could during the week. And, and, um, and I would tell her, you know, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. Anyway, one day, she walked across the street, and, and she asked Tom and me if we would pray with her right then. And that led to the ability for us then to, to go deeper and, and talk spiritually about what was going on with us and what was going on with her and to invite her to know Jesus. The master wanted people at this feast because he loves them. And he just kept sending the servant out. And the servant kept going out. You know, at that dinner party that I told you about at the beginning of my message... We were only there because they wanted us there. That word compel in this passage, compel them to come in, it's been misused by Christians. It was misused at the Spanish Inquisition to say, you know, force them, force them, compel them, as in that sense. But that's not what it means in this, in this uh, sense. John, or, uh, Ken Bailey says, if, if in the Middle East you're invited to something where you're not worthy to attend, if you're of a lower social rank, like the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, and so on, you have to help them know they're wanted. It's like 
you know, grace is unbelievable. It's, it's like, uh, you want me? You want, uh, I mean, do you know who I am? And so compel them, take them gently by the hand and say, yes, he really wants you. He really wants you. My brother for years was, one of my brothers was very angry at God. Very angry. He was very broken. And um, he moved in across the street from some, some of my, uh, my very closest friend, actually. And they just loved him. He was a single dad. They babysat his kids. They invited him over to their house all the time for meals. They would invite him to, when they had uh, friends over, they would just include him in things. And, and uh, for years this month, years, and every week, for at least two years, I know, every week they would say, we're going to church tomorrow, you want to come? Never went. Every week, they just persisted, loved him all the time. They had conversations, but he was so angry. And they would just patiently listen to his anger at God and why he didn't believe and the things he thought were so wrong. And they just would engage and they would talk. And, and every week, you know, if you want to go to church with us, you know you're welcome. We, we're going we're gonna to go at 9.30. Finally, after two years, one day he said, I'll go with you. And he went and, of course, as only the Holy Spirit can do, the Holy Spirit just touched him in a powerful way and changed his life forever. And, um, and he entered the kingdom of God, and he has, I mean, it's, he's an amazing Christian man now. But it took that kind of persistence over the long haul. And God has healed his brokenness. It's just incredible what God does when we just invite Invite your neighbor into your life. And sometimes it's going to lead to those deeper conversations that really matter. Just invite them. The motive is love. That's it. Just love. Love that persists. Let's pray.